0: Thank you to Brother Paul for leading us last week. I told him uh, a minute ago, I was, uh, we were here, uh, got here right just about the time class was over. I think there were 10 of us together last week and nine of us at the house. So it was a little busy at my place last Sunday. And uh, so many of you sent cards and have given us well wishes for... Uh, what was going on last weekend. Thank you so much, and thank you for being a, a part of that. I know some of you even uh, made the trek downtown to, to be there for that, and we're grateful for that. Um, um, honored, thank you so much. Now, here's what I want you to do. So um, I gave Rhonda a warning. Hopefully you've come up with an answer of this. So your table talk today is, what's your favorite movie sequel? Sequel. Is it, you know, Rocky 14? I think there's been a bunch, of dozen of them. Or is it one of, the, one of the Star Wars movies? I don't know what a prequel is, but you can say a prequel if you want a prequel. Um, uh, is it the, one of the Godfather movies? You know, I don't know. Let's talk about it at your table. What's your favorite sequel? What's your favorite, oh, this was really good and it got even better uh, with the sequel, okay? Let's start right there, take a minute. Yeah, it's bad. So what'd you come up with? What'd you come up with? Joe and I decided there should be a Tombstone sequel, but there hasn't been yet. Sherman, you'd vote for that, wouldn't you? With what? I think the sequel was better than the original. I read the Top Gun the Maverick thing, uh, I've watched it twice. I, you know, I went to the movies to see it because I want to see it on the big screen, and now I can find it on something at home. And uh, yeah, I thought the I thought it was better than the than the other one. What what was yours, dear? It was Top Gun and also the second Star Wars movie. The second Star Wars the s- of I didn't the- know what that one was. Return of the Jedi. Okay, you have to be somewhat nerdy to know that answer. Um, Somebody else. What? What's your favorite movie sequel? What'd you say, Janet?
1: Red your but you have to have that
0: Okay. See, I don't know anything about that. All right. It's
1: season one
0: and two, and then I just had one. Okay. Them. Okay. Really? Okay. <laughs> Haven't heard that. Katie?
1: a sequel on TV. Is that okay? Oh, yeah. Blue Bloods.
0: Uh, Okay, it it, it, what, 12 seasons or something like that, I think? Something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Steve Blair, I'm curious if you've got a favorite sequel.
1: Uh, Not really. I like the first ones better because you get the character development. That's true. And when you get to the sequel, it's kind of like old hat.
0: Often it's kind of disappointing, isn't it? Often it is. That's why uh, to hear you say I like this one better than the original. Um, uh, we I had watched a, a series last year about the making of the Godfather, so I wanted to go back and watch the Godfather movies. Now I needed to find them on a service that was a little bit tamer than uh, uh, than what the original was. But but those are being those were out while I was in college, and so it was just kind of interesting to. To see. By the time they got the number three, it wasn't very good. And uh, Brad? There was no sequel to Quigley Down Under. <laughs> to Quickly Down Under. There's only one of those. Okay, so is that one we need a sequel to? I don't know. I, I bet old boy uh Quigley can't ride a horse by this time, but uh, we'd, we would see. All right, now. Book, so, books
1: are always better than
0: movies anyway. What? Here. The books are. Yeah. That is so true. Yeah. You're right. In fact, I'll, I'll often read the book, see the movie, and it's like, wait a minute, they left so much of it out. But anyway, we'll see on the um, on the uh, Osage movie. We'll see if if the movie is as good as the book. Uh, that was an amazing book. Uh, now, um, okay, so
1: I'd have to say, you know, back to your question, maybe Nightmare on Elm Street 14, <laughs> because that was the last.
0: <laughs> yeah, my guess is. You didn't watch that, but my guess is, yeah. Well, so we're going to spend a couple of weeks at least on a sequel, all right? Uh, if you read the Gospel of Luke, um, and in your Bible, you know, we 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 studied John 20 and John 21 the last couple of weeks, a uh, couple of weeks ago, uh, looking at the resurrection, what happened right after the resurrection. If you were able to turn the page, this is... This is part two, um, uh, the book of Acts, especially Acts uh, 1 and 2, and we'll, we'll kind of get into that. Uh, I, read, I read this week that without the book of Acts, we'd have almost no information about the early church. It would be interesting. If we could glean some of it from Paul's writings, but it wouldn't really give us the... How did we get from here? How did we get from the resurrection to... Uh, Rome. How, I mean, how did that happen? Uh, we need the Book of Acts, kind of, kind of tie that together for us. And uh, let's be honest: for those of us who uh, who live and love uh, Crossing Community Church, Marty would have no favorite verse. You know, Acts 2:42 and Acts 4 uh, are his favorite passages to talk about. So, um, so this is kind of Luke's sequel in some ways. Now, I think it's interesting. That Okay, stick with me here. I'm going to say something that will be in your face a little bit. A Gentile wrote most of the New Testament. Think about it. More of the New Testament than anybody else was Dr. Luke, a physician, who was clearly a Gentile. Um, So here's here's the uh, evidence. In Greek... Luke wrote 37,932 word, words across 2,158 verses. Paul wrote 32,408 words across 2,033 verses. Now, more books are, are written by Paul, but literally more words and more verses were written by Dr. Luke. He needed two books to get all this in, didn't he? Uh, but one of the things I read this week that a tip was that a typical um, uh, they they were writing on scrolls obviously and a typical scroll was about 10 yards long you would need at least two to get all of this in um, I, I, I just find that kind of interesting uh, so we, we believe, and he kind of identifies himself uh, to us a little bit, of who uh, he is, uh, the, the writer. Uh, we'll look at a little bit of this in a minute. But um, um, it's interesting, um, he mains, maintains high ac- accuracy standards in his writing. In fact, uh, Luke is known Uh, as one of the great geographers of antiquity. Uh, When you study his writing, it's like, okay, he tells us how many days it took to sail from here to here, and you know what? It took about that long to sail from here to here, and uh, they went to the leeward side of things, or, you know, whatever. He he gives you all that kind of detail. Um, uh, In particular, um, uh, his reliability has been proven over and over. Now, interestingly, um, Luke refers in Acts 17, verse 6, Luke refers to the magistrates of the city of um, Thessalonica by the Greek word uh, polytarchs, or polytarchus. Um, That caused some people in years past to kind of question um, uh, the, the reliability of Luke's work because they couldn't find find that word anywhere in antiquity. But guess what? Recent archaeological excavations have found inscriptions all over the place using that title. Uh, Isn't it interesting that that Luke is getting smarter and smarter um, 2,000 years later? So I find that really intriguing, and uh, I hope that encourages you. Now... Let's talk about a little bit um, uh, where this book is going to lead us, and I want us to start reading there. And I'm going to hand out several. Steve, while you, if you don't mind, to read the first five verses of Acts one. We'll get into that in just a minute. But I also want to go. Uh, can somebody go to 23:26 and 20? Liz, that'd be great. Go to 23:26 and then just turn the page and go to 24:3, right back to back. And then somebody else I want us to read from the, the, um, the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, Luke 1, 3. Cindy, you get that one? Okay, that'll get us kind of started. I'm also going to need Matthew 26, 2. Go will get that one. Thank you, John. Matthew 26, 2. And um, I, I, I think that'll kind of do it, okay? Now, Steve, read the first five verses of the book of Acts.
1: he gave them this command Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit.
0: Okay, this is the beginning of the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. We'll talk about what ties them together here in just a minute. But Luke addresses this. And it's capitalized, at least in my Bible, Theophilus. Now, let's talk about this for a minute. Who was it that got Luke 1, 3? Cindy, read that. Because it's addressed similarly there, uh, Luke's gospel.
1: Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus.
0: Now, interesting, most excellent Theophilus. So there is some question of whether this is a person and if so, who it is, Brad? In the original Greek, it's either lover of God or friend of God. And it may be that he's addressing it to them alive in those days who loved God and to us, Brad. It may be. But it also could be that there's a person he's thinking about. It's interesting he, if, or she, may have been, if it was a particular person, a high government official. Um, now, Liz is going to read in just a minute. Uh, this would be similar, this title would be similar, um, excellent, would be similar to if, if, a, um, if a, a senator or representative walked in. We might say um, uh, the, um, um, the honorable Mark Fueling, okay? It's kind of a term of, of, of respect. Uh, Liz, if you would read 2326 and then jump over and read 243, there are similar things there.
1: Uh, Claudius, Lysias, to his excellency, Governor Felix, greetings. Okay. Everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this profound gratitude.
0: So there is a sense here that this may be a term like excellency um, um, uh, and, and the word excellence is also used there. So uh, could this be um, um, addressed to a high government official who is a lover of God? Or is it just addressed to some person unnamed who is a lover of God or To a generic group, loving God, the truth is, and here's what to put in your blank, we just don't know. We don't really know. That's interesting that he puts it there, but we really can't. um, In much of Paul's writing, we know pretty well who he wrote to. Um, so it might just be written to anyone who's a lover of God, but we just don't know. Or it may be written to a particular person who was kind of a high official who was also a lover of God, but we just kind of don't know. So um, I mentioned a bit ago, we're going to see the beginning of the book of Acts and the end of, um, of uh uh, the book of uh, the, the Gospel of Luke, has an interesting connecting point. Um, okay, so if you just want to write the references here, if you read Luke 24, verse 50 through 53, we won't read it now, but you can look at it, and you read Acts 1, 6 through 9, which we'll read in a little bit, um, those connect the two books. There are stories there, the same story. Luke ends one Gospel... He ends his gospel talking about the same thing that he begins the book of Acts with. There's an overlap there. You ever watched a, uh, um, uh, okay, so who was it? Um, Katie, is it you that likes blue blood? Okay, so if, if I'm watching next Friday night, as it begins, it'll give me a recap of last week. And sometimes it pulls back from a couple weeks ago. Because they're gonna getting ready to talk about more of that. That's kind of what's happening here. Uh, I don't want to don't want to cheapen the, the the book of Acts or the gospel <laughs> of Luke, but to talk about something CBS would produce. But you get my point. It's it's the idea here uh, that uh, there's a connecting point between Luke's first book and his second book, and it is interestingly the the commands of Jesus and his ascension, which is going to be blazoned into their memory. So, all right, now, verse three. There's a time span here that's referred to. uh, as far as I know, somebody correct me here. I think this is the only place we get the idea that Jesus wasn't just hanging out after the resurrection for 30 minutes or a couple of days. How long? Verse 3. 40 days. 40 days. That's pretty impressive, don't you think? That the post-resurrection of Jesus, so this is after his crucifixion, this is after all of these things. Um, um, uh, somebody go, just a minute, I'll have somebody go to, Mark, would you mind to go to Matthew 26 2? I'm gonna have you read that in just a minute. But um, so post-resurrection appearances uh, to them, um, to them is talking about here, to the disciples and others, for 40 days. Now, the the number 40 and 40 days in particular are important in the Bible. What what do you remember that's important about 40 days? Uh wilderness was 40 years.
1: I he Christ,
0: that's hadn't thought about that. Christ was being tempted by the devil in the in the wilderness for 40 days. What, what else did I hear? Okay. Um uh, uh, the the flood forty days and forty nights. I don't know. We're working on what day five or six. Maybe we're headed into that. But yeah, we won't get there. I don't think we'll get there. Uh, uh, but there's forty days there. Uh, lots of forty dayses in the Bible. But that's probably less significant here than um, uh, in in this case at least. Then the time span between Jesus' death, what Luke is going to call, uh, I believe in verse 3, his suffering. Do you have a different word there? Is that the word that's in your Bible? His suffering. Uh, So Mark, read, if you wouldn't mind, read uh, Matthew 26, 2.
1: You know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified.
0: So his prediction is it's coming. Passover is when it's going to happen. So so the idea is um, uh, his suffering, Good Friday, between that and the beginning of the celebration of Pentecost is, interestingly, 50 days. That was a common celebration on the Jewish calendar. Passover, 50 days hence would be um, Pentecost. And he's going to tell them, Hang on here in Jerusalem. So it's probably that 40 days is actually more tied to Pentecost uh, than anything. It's, it could be understood in, in its connection in, in Acts 2 verse 1 to Pentecost. Now we'll be, in, um, we'll be in Acts 2 next week and we'll talk about what happens at the end of the 50 days after his death. Okay. But this tells us that for 40 of those days he's walking the planet. He's not with them. I, I think we've got to catch this here, and we'll look at it in verse 4. He's had several meetings with them over those 40 days. Um, um, uh, if you go with me to Luke 24, we'll look at one of those in a little bit. Um, um, so we're going to go to Luke 24 and begin with verse 36. Um there is a section here where he's appearing to them in Jerusalem, verse 36 through 53. Um, so we know he's with them several times. We studied, two weeks ago, we studied his appearance to them in Galilee, on the Sea of Galilee, and they had fish for breakfast. Do you remember that one? Okay. So that's another appearance. That's a different appearance. He appeared to them several times in Jerusalem. We we studied a few weeks back his appearance to the guys on the road to the uh, to Emmaus. It's another appearance. So there's several appearances here. Uh, he's going to say to them, and I'm going to begin in verse. Um, uh, verse 36-53 through 53 tells us about one of the Jerusalem appearances but I'm going to begin at verse 46. He's going to say, and he said to them thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Now I, th- I find it interesting here they had already gone back to Galilee, right? Peter went fish it and the Lord meets them on the beach. Remember we talked about that two or three weeks ago. They are gone back to Galilee, but we know that he had met them in Jerusalem as well, but he'd had several meetings with them over that 40 days. Why not start this whole thing on Pentecost from Capernaum, which had been their basis of operation? Well, because he said it would all begin in Jerusalem. And he says, even here, as I read from Luke 24, 46, and 47, this is going to happen. It's going to take off from Jerusalem. I have a little friend who was flying to Puerto Rico a couple weeks ago. Um, It was on a Sunday morning, wasn't it, I think. Um, But he left from Tulsa. He lives in Dallas drove to Oklahoma City to spend the night with us, got up in the middle of the night and drove to Tulsa. When he came back, he had to go back to Dallas from Tulsa. But why is that? Because his departure point was from Tulsa. I think I would have tried to figure out another way, but the tickets were free, okay? Uh, It was was some kind of a a friend was taking him along with him to Puerto Rico. So... (laughs) The departure point means everything, kind of, doesn't it? And it certainly does here. So the idea here is that God had strategically chosen Jerusalem as the birthplace of the church, the place of, where it's going to start. He
1: from this earth and, and and the Mount of Olives, which is right across the street.
0: It's right there in in Bethany, just out to, uh, outside of town, somewhere. To but it's near there. But the beginning of the church is going to be not far from there, but it will be in Jerusalem. Right. Yeah. So, could that, be, uh, could that be tied into the young boy who was left behind when his parents left town, and they came back to find him in the temple in Jerusalem saying, why, mother, did you not know I would be in my father's house? You know, I've, I've got to think about that one a little bit. It, it's not impossible that it would be that. You know, the, Brad, the only thought that I had is Jerusalem is just so important in the history of everything at least since David. You know, By the way, anybody know what Jerusalem used to be called? Before David? Huh? Jebus. Why? Because the Jebusites were there and they were mean people and basically they said ain't nobody coming in here. That's before they met David. Okay? So Okay, so after David, it becomes the city. David becomes Jerusalem, becomes so important in all of world history, really, Brad, even now, right? Okay, so it becomes then the strategically chosen place that God has chosen for the church to start from. We'll talk about that kind of next week. Now, so basically, it was not the plan. It's why they didn't stay in Galilee or all go, or go back there again. So in verse 5 he gives them a bit of a commission, even to verse 5. He's going to say, John baptized with water. I put a reference there, John 1.33. John baptized with water, but your baptism is going to come from not just from John, but you're going to be immersed by God in um, if the Holy Spirit, capital. Not many days, he says, from now. Um, uh, And he's going to say to them, there's an immersion coming. I looked the word up. It's um, whether you were, uh, you know, dipped or sprinkled or immersed. The word baptism is immersion. And the same word is used here. You're going to be immersed. John did it in water. You're going to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. What a beautiful thing. John's baptism with water. Jesus and God are going to baptize them in. They're going to immerse them in the in the Holy Spirit. But he says here, not many days from now. Now, you're going to have to catch this a couple times because a couple times he's going to say, wait, wait. You ever find yourself getting ahead of God? I'm trying to. <laughs> trying. It's, It's kind of hard to operate from that place, isn't it? Don't get ahead of me, he says. In fact, he's in this scene, they're going to watch him leave visibly, go back to heaven. And he's going to say to them right before that happens, he's going to say, wait, wait. I I find that intriguing. We'll talk about what they did in the meantime. Okay, let's go back. Cindy, can I get you to read 6, 7, and 8 from Acts 1?
1: Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth.
0: Okay, now, hang with me here. Um, he's given them all this instruction and in verse 6 they're together and they ask the question. Now here's how one writer um, kind of summarizes what their question was. Lord, having thwarted the leaders of the Jews in Jerusalem the Roman authorities and death itself wouldn't this be a good time to rally those who had your entry into the city a few days ago? Why not lead them to form an army and drive the Romans out? Come on, Jesus, we could do this. I love that. Because that's pretty much what they're asking. Lord, wouldn't this be a good time to, to mount a coup of some kind? Hey, isn't it interesting here? in the context of having been with him off and on for 40 days in a resurrected body. Okay? Isn't it interesting that they would rather see Jesus... um, Let me state it, and I'll I'll fill in your blanks for it so I can help you with it. But um, having been with him for three and a half years and seen a cross and seen the resurrection, they ask this. Rather than to see the work of Jesus as freedom from sin, they were willing to settle for freedom from Rome. Wow. Rather than seeing his work as accomplishing freedom from sin, which is real freedom, folks. They were content still after all that to say, How about if you just free us from Rome? I I find that really intriguing. So Jesus gives them an answer, and his answer here, when he's talking about the authority of the Father, his answer here about times and dates is not talking about when Rome is going to be overthrown. It's talking about his return, his reply here. And he says, Only God knows. So, in verse 8, what you and I need to know is that Jesus has the power to act on the Father's authority. Um, The Father's authority, the word authority in verse 7, means the right to do something. The word power in verse 8 is the ability to do something. And he's going to say, the Father has given me authority and I'm going to give it to you. Did you catch that? The Father has has the authority to give me the power, and I'm going to give you the power. But you're going to have to wait for it for a few more days. Jesus has the power to act on the Father's authority. And the the verses there are all all verses that talk about uh, that authority. Now, if you look at the last part of of verse 8 that Cindy read, it really becomes kind of an outline of what's going to happen in the book of Acts. Um, Jerusalem, be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the remotest part of the earth. It, before Acts is done, it'll get all the way to, the, uh, to Rome and to Europe. So uh, that's what we're looking at. Now, I, I want us to read one more section here. John, would you read verse 9, 10, and 11? After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. when suddenly, two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the
1: sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will
0: come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. That's interesting. What's the action? Mark, can I prevail on you? I'm going to have you go over to, Mark, uh, to Acts 7 and read verse 54 and 55. Just a minute. What's the action? What happens? He gives them this challenge, this commission, and then they watch him leave. I want to see that someday. Do you? I kind of want to see that. How did that happen? He goes up, and there's a cloud that he's taken into, and the cloud kind of obscures him from view. And then they don't see him anymore. Uh, Catch that. See it in your mind a little bit, okay? The question is, where'd he go? (laughs) Now, remember, these were flat-earth people. They don't know that the world is round and that, there is emanating from that place, and if you don't believe me, talk to Dr. Reeves, he studied all kinds of cosmology. There's all kinds of stuff out there. Where did he go? Uh, The only answer I've got to this, now it says here, um, he received, and a cloud received him out of their sight, and they can't figure out where he's gone. The only answer I've got to this is found in Acts 7. you got to go fast forward a little bit to the death of Stephen, to the stoning of Stephen. Stephen sees him. He sees him. Um, uh, Mark, would you read Acts 7, verse 54 and 55?
1: Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazing to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God.
0: Heaven wherever that is, wherever God is, Jesus returns to his right hand. That's where he's always been, except for about 33 and a half years. He just returns there. And they're watching. Now, I find this interesting. we got to take, I want to take just a minute, Ron. I'm going to send you there to 2 Kings, if you would, um, 20. And I'm going to have you read verse 15, 16, 17, and 18. 2 Kings uh, 2, sorry. 2 Kings 2. A similar thing happened. Nah, not exactly like this because this is amazing. But um, didn't this kind of thing happen with Elijah? A chariots of fire deal? Remember? Elijah is taken up from them in a chariot of fire. I want you to see what they did after Elijah was taken up from them. Okay, Rhonda, read uh, 2 Kings 2, begin in verse 15, read through 18.
1: Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha.
0: Okay, him there is Elisha. Elijah has given his mantle to Elisha. Keep reading.
1: And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. And they said to him, behold now... There are with your servants fifty strong men. Please let them go and seek your master. It may be that the Spirit of the Lord has caught him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, You shall not send. But when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, Send. They sent therefore fifty men, and for three days they sought him but did not find him. And they came
0: back to him while he was staying at Jericho. And he said to them, did I not say to you, do not go? I, I love Elisha. Uh, oh, Elisha, uh, Elijah, his master, is left in a chariot of fire. And a bunch of prophet kind of guys come to him and say, we got 50 guys. Let's go find him. Elisha says, no, don't do that. And they talk him into it. They come back three days later. They haven't found him. And Elisha says, see, I told you so. I I think it's what he says, right? See, I told you so. One of the things I love about the New Testament um, uh, account here of Jesus leaving them, you know that there's only 11 of them. The 11 of them that are left and maybe they, you know, get a posse together. Let's go find him. They didn't waste time doing that. Why? It's written right here. Why? Because remember those two guys that were at the empty tomb? They're still hanging out 40 days later. And they said to the 11, "Uh, don't waste your time. And I think they heard it. Don't waste your time. Why are you... They're saying this same Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you've watched him go into heaven. There's no need to watch for him. Go get done what you get done. Now, what do they get done in the rest of chapter 1? What well, they get done in chapter 1, and I put some references here just to help you with it. By the way, here, let me fill in your blank. They would not need to look for Jesus. You and I will see him eventually when he comes back. He's talked about it in chapter 1. But, so what do they do? If you read the rest of chapter 1, they're a man short as far as the 12. Why? Judas is off the scene. He's taking his own life. And so part of what they do is they begin to organize for what is coming. They're not really sure what's coming. They begin to organize for that, including electing Matthias to be the twelfth, so that they'll be ready for whatever it is that Jesus is hinting at when the Holy Spirit shows up in power in a few days. Now, okay, I think it's interesting. He tell the, the angels tell him, uh, "Don't just stand here. You got work to do." Your dad ever tell you that? My dad ever told me that every day of my life. Don't just stand here. You got work to do. My mother probably on the Mother's Day probably told me, uh, "Don't just stand here, or don't just sit there." Probably, you got work to do. <coughs> they don't. It's ten days till Pentecost. They don't know what's going to happen on Pentecost. You and I have the the um, advantage of hindsight. Okay. We'll study that next week. But they've got stuff to do. Um They're going to tell them, don't go back to Galilee, stay here, find a 12th, and get ready. Jesus has told them the same thing. And Jesus has also told them this. He tells them this at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, he tells them this at the end of the Gospel of Luke, and he tells us in Acts 1. Every one of them is to be involved in disciple making. Guess what? The challenge hasn't changed. It's still up to us to do that. We're the only ones who can do that. Don't you love it when you see our church being involved in creating, in investing, in being witnesses to, and teaching and guiding people to become disciples and disciple makers? We're going pick to pick it up right there at the beginning of chapter 2 next week. I'll see you there. Ladies, happy Mother's Day. I hope you get to spend time with your family or somebody you love, and God bless you. I'll see you soon.